0: When I hire people I look for three things I call it ACE which is autonomous which is they don't ask me a lot of questions they get their job done competent they not only get their job done they do it very well and E for empathetic that means they know what the end customer of this project is and they have some empathy for that end customers <laughs> Welcome to the Career Nation Show, where you learn the strategies and tools to own and drive your career. Find out more at careertiger.com.
1: Hey, Career Nation. Today is a very exciting episode. Today, we have none other than Rajesh Shetty. He is an entrepreneur, he's an author, and a teacher. And I've known him for many years, and he's a mentor to many, many people here in Silicon Valley. Please welcome Rajesh Shetty to the show. Rajesh, welcome to the show. Super exciting, visit. Uh, I'm so glad to be here. You know, Rajesh, I waited for years to interview you. And finally, my dream has come true. Thank you for being on the show.
0: The moment you say things like that, it can all go downhill from here. So <laughs> <laughs> don't set the expectations very high.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of my mentors always tells me, always exceed expectations. And if the expectations are too high, you can reset them. So I appreciate you resetting expectations right here.
0: Very good, I'm so excited.
1: Thank you. And so, um, Rajesh, for those of you, for those five people who may not know you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career journey?
0: Uh, I keep my life very simple, Abhijit. I do three things. I'm an entrepreneur. I started more than half a dozen companies. They are all in various stages, except one that is in the graveyard, but other, there are a couple of them that got sold and the remaining ones are happily running in US and India. There the are two, two geographies that I operate in. And then I'm an author, I've written 18 books. My first book was published when I was 13 years old. So I'll date myself by saying that I've been writing for 30 plus years. Right. And then uh, now I'm working on a 36 book series called Think Books, books that will make people think. And then uh, lastly, I'm a teacher. I love to teach. I've taught over 1,400 entrepreneurs on how to bring their idea to life. And everything that I do is surrounding these three things. In my hobbies, I create what are called napkin sites, insights that can fit on a paper napkin. I create thank you cards, postcards with uh, cool messages to thank people. And I've created uh, playing cards, which has stories in 50 words each. Uh, I keep doing some co- creative things to keep my brain engaged.
1: Wow. Is there something that you don't do Rajesh? Uh, that's a lot of things. And so I'm curious about your career path. Um, I know you started as an engineer and uh, you were an engineer sort of building technology, et cetera. And then you moved on from being an engineer to becoming an entrepreneur. You're an author. You're also a teacher and a mentor to so many people. How did you, or why did you choose this particular career path? I mean, you could be an engineer in Silicon Valley, which is like sort of the badge of honor, right? Which is the thing to do. And you've kind of veered off that path to and sort of a path that's less beaten to this path. So what was sort of your thinking, your approach? What, um, what led you to uh, this path?
0: Actually, the real question is, why did the path choose me is the real question. Because I never chose anything. Most of my life, I never made any major choices. But whatever came along a visit, I would embrace it with full passion. So that's how I think about it. When I come into this day, I don't know what will come, into the, come in my way what God has in store for me. But whatever it is, I embrace it with full passion. So here is what happened. When I was in, uh, about nine years old, I had read about 700 books. Most of them were useless books according to my mom. They were murder mysteries, thrillers, treasure and kind of uh, books. But then at nine, I thought, hey, I'm playing this game that I know exactly what happens in this story. And most of the time, it turned out to be wrong. It would, something else would happen and it would frustrate the hell out of me. I said, you know what? If I write my own novel, I can decide what the characters will do. I can make who, I can make the treasure to be in some place. I can make somebody the killer. I can make somebody the bad guy, good guy. I choose. So that kind of uh, autonomy was uh, what I liked. So, but by the time I was ten, I had written a 200-page book, and then uh, the madness started after that because then I thought, <laughs> hey, how many people will write a 200-page book? I think I'll get a red carpet welcome. I start pitching to uh, publishers. So, and I started pitching and I was getting rejected faster than I was pitching. I don't know which was, which was happening first, but uh, you know, when you are young, you can take rejections uh, in, in abundance, right? So by the time I was 13 and a half, I got rejected 159 times. And the 160th time was magic. The publisher said, I'm going to publish this. How much do you want? And then that was a question I was not prepared to answer because I never thought it will happen anytime soon. So I told him 100 rupees. He got the shock of his life. For those who don't know what is 100 rupees, it's $1.50 or something like that, right? So, but that was it. journey I was awarded as the youngest writer of Karnataka State. And magic started happening after that. People who didn't believe me suddenly started believing me. And one of them was a, editor in a local newspaper. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, jokingly or uh, seriously, I don't know. He said, do you want to come and work for us? Hard time. So that was my very first job, working as a newspaper journalist for a local newspaper. Over four years, I wrote about 400 articles. Granted, not all of them were published because I used to write almost every day. And then the first six months were mostly crap because I don't think they were worthy of publishing. But I learned the uh, art the hard way. And I learned some two life skills in the journalism days Abhijit. One is to notice and observe things that others don't notice easily. Because as a journalist, you have to find an angle. Mm -hmm. And then for that, your, your observing skills have to be really, really sharp. So that's one thing is there. Second is the story itself. Everything that we in life is about stories. So I learned the art of noticing and the art of storytelling and the art of uh, communicating a message to people that you may not ever see in person. So all those things played a role in uh, what I do even today. And then uh, you know, by the time I was 17, I got six books published in my name. Then my mom got worried that I will become a writer. So, and then she gave me three choices. Choice number one, engineer. Choice number two, doctor. Choice number three, loser. She said, which one do you want to pick? <laughs> uh, you come from India too, so you know that. Oh, yeah. The <laughs> children don't become engineers or doctors. Moms will think they are a failure. <laughs> so I chose to be an engineer. Uh, and then I love my mom, so I did extremely well. I didn't want to ever feel that I'm choosing engineering because she wanted me to choose. I, I finished my education in flying colors. So I was good in education, I was good in writing. So I thought, hey, what else is there? I should start a company immediately. So, and then I convinced two more people or my classmates to start a company. It was a disaster will be an understatement because it was like two blind people leading the third blind person saying, you know, let's do this. And we we actually (laughs) didn't know what we didn't know. So it was a total disaster, Uh, but it was not like a death by a gunshot. Like a death by a thousand cuts. Because every time I wanted to give up, people would say, hey Raj, you wrote a book when you was 13 years old. You should not give up. You, are, you will figure it out. You know, you just do not give up. And I'm, I'm almost giving up because I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I, I can't give up because everybody around me are telling, you're so smart, you got a state rank in engineering, in your 10th standard, in your tools. You can't give up. So, but obviously after some time you run out of money and run out of support, you have to give up. You shut down the company. And uh, uh, I learned another major lesson of Egypt, which is entrepreneurship is a team sport. Mm-hmm. What I was good at were solo sports. Writing and uh, education is pretty much a solo sport with some team, team effort involved. But entrepreneurship is a 100% team sport. So just because you are good at solo sports, suddenly you cannot automatically become good at a team sport. So that education came to me with a he- very heavy price and uh, uh, it, it was good that I knew it. And that also motivated me to build a lot of relationships. Because if it is a team sport, I, should, I would rather become good at uh, uh, building relationships so that I have teams all, all over the world. So long story short, I, we gave up on that, uh, and then I joined uh, Citibank, uh, which was called Citicorp uh, Information Technologies Industries Limited, called CitiL, so part of Citibank. Eighteen months I was there as a programmer. I worked on money markets, foreign exchange, and everything. Then I got a job as a uh, as a, as a programmer, a program manager, in a company in Malaysia. So I won't go into all the details. That became the CEO who was supposed to come for take over the division was not there, so I was drafted as the interim CEO because nobody else was there to take over. And six months later, the interim was got dropped, and I became the CEO of the division. Oh wow! So I lived in Singapore, Malaysia, and a little bit in France. I came here in 1997, and then I worked there for some a couple of consulting companies. Since 2000, I've been starting my own companies one after the other uh, and that's the brief journey
1: wow that's incredible rajesh and you know there's so many nuggets there that i would love to unpack one of them is this story around persistence that you were rejected 159 times but then the 160th time was magic um and I wanted to continue down this path of persistence and talk about smart people who are stuck. And uh, what, I want, what I mean by that is it, smart people who, who, whose real potential is, is unbelievable, right? If, if you really look at their skills, their experience, their competencies, they could be rock stars, but they're not. And uh, you and I have met many such people in our lives. And especially when um, I coach people, I see a lot of potential, but I don't see that potential translated into results. And um, I think, and feel free to correct me, but persistence could be one of those things that could help people sort of break through. Um, what, what do you think is preventing smart people from being successful? Because smartness doesn't translate into success, but it needs something. What is that something?
0: There are so many ways we can go over it because remember I studied this phenomenon for six and a half years. Only one question I wanted to answer and I got stuck royally there, which is Mm. why smart people get stuck. The person (laughs) who is researching is stuck trying to find out why smart people get stuck. There is some meta thinking there. But I found out several things. It's part of my book called Smart But Stuck. But I'll give you some some things here. So there are several blind spots smart people have, which is when they get stuck, they want to get unstuck very quickly without even taking the time to know why they are stuck. So what happens is because they are building their identity that they are smart around people and they don't, they never want to feel that they are stuck and they want, they don't want to be exposed saying, hey, if I am so smart, I should not be stuck. I should get unstuck very quickly. But sometimes to move fast, you have to slow down. So if you would rather go slow and find out why you are really stuck than trying to figure out one quick fix to uh, let me get unstuck whatever way, quick brute force way possible. That's one of the reasons why they stay stuck long enough. Because they want to get out of it very quickly without thinking why they are actually stuck. Second blind spot they have is they try to do too much too many things on their own because they can and actually they really can because they have the capability but what is against them is time because they have 24 hours just like everybody else and if they oversubscribe to things because they are so smart then they lose lose time and third thing is not everybody is good at asking for help they have a feeling that if they ask for help they're a little bit weaker than the other person. And in reality, what I have found, Abhijit, is that one of the predetermined predetermined factor for success is do you have an oversupply of good help to take you through uh, to the destination? Mm. And for that to happen, you should have been part of the help to many people in their journey to their goals. So people don't realize that, you know they will get an oversupply of good help if they were part of the oversupply of good help to other people in the past. It's so the law of karma takes over there. Yeah. So all these things come together and one after the other, it uh, comes like a blitzkrieg of uh, uh, blind spots coming from all over the place. And uh, persistence matters. And uh, the staying power matters because my favorite thing that I say is if you stay long enough on the course, you will find a problem for your solution. Because smart people have a lot of solutions. They don't take the time (laughs) to find what problem does it solve.
1: That is so true. Uh, It's like a hammer looking for a nail. Um, Great comment. And that I
0: have a comment. So some it has been used, the, the statement has been viewed, used as a negative thing for a long time. I use it in a positive way. I said, if you have a hammer, you will always look for a nail. I say, if you learn the art of storytelling and you have a hammer, you tell the story and show people the nail in their problem, then you can say, I have a hammer to hit that nail.
1: You know, that's the other way to do it, which is to find the problem to solve. Exactly. Um, And you have a certain, a person may have a certain strength, certain competency, that's the hammer, and they have to figure out which nail um, should I hit?
0: And what problem
1: can I solve? uh,
0: Because all we have is all we have, isn't it? If you have a hammer, you cannot say, I should need a wrench or a screwdriver. (laughs) Now that you have a hammer, I'm sure there are enough nail problems to be solved. You just have to tell a story big enough that uh, you know will find the nail. I'll give an example. You might have heard of this person called Frederick Heron. Mm. He's a speaker, coach and everything. I met him a few years ago in Singapore. And he gave me one uh, thing. Uh, he was giving me some advice on many things. One of the things that really uh, resonated with me is why he spoke about creativity and one topic alone. He does not speak about anything else. Shall I share it with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So he said he makes a few million dollars a year speaking, only only on one topic. It's like, that's like Frederick's hammer, isn't it? <laughs> and then he says he goes to a company and says, you know, what is the biggest challenge that you have? Uh, our sales are not growing fast enough. Okay. Do you think if the salespeople are a little bit creative, they'll solve the problem? Yeah, that'll be good. Okay, I have a, I have a, a talk that I have. It's a creativity for salespeople. And then suppose, let's say the question, answer to the question was, our leadership is not strong enough. Mm. No, you already guessed. Yeah, you totally. leaders are a little bit more creative. Uh, do you think it'll help? I have a talk. Uh, creativity for leaders. The only place it does not work is our accounting people have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: you don't want to get accounting people to be more creative, for sure. That's
0: the only thing, but except for that, he has a hammer and he'll find a nail in the customer's uh, situation and say, I can hit that nail on the head, right on that head. So Many times, the reason I'm uh, talking more about it is many times people start thinking, oh my God, I have a hammer. Mm. I uh, I should not look for the nail everywhere. I say, you have a hammer. Look for the nail wherever there is money and hit it on the head. So rather than looking for things that they don't have, I'm always a big proponent of what are you doing with the things that you already have? Forget about looking for things that you don't have. There is so much that you already bring to the table. Let's make the most out of it.
1: I totally agree. And you know, um, because of this proliferation of technologies and devices, it has become easier to find nails. In other words, problems to solve. It's become easier to build your network, reach out to people and figure out if they have the problem that you are trying to solve. And that way you can figure out and identify opportunities where you can participate and create value
0: that is the level 1 i'll also tell you the level 2 it's i coined a term called hunger engineering mm. so if you want to sell something to eat you have to engineer the hunger in someone and say i want to eat that so if you have a hammer and you want to create find a nail you can either find it with your uh, uh, snooping skills or spy skills, or you can start telling stories that will engineer the hunger to say people, I have a nail problem. I never knew that I had a nail problem. I do. Thank you so much for letting me know. Now can you please bring your hammer so that you can hit the nail on the head like that.
1: <laughs> wow, I like it. Hunger engineering. Um, is this being used a lot in sort of digital marketing these days, especially when and like both b2b b2c because you really, i mean i see a lot of folks especially from a marketing standpoint um, paint the picture about what are the challenges opportunities in a particular space um, and then they can we can talk about the solution etc is that part of hunger engineering as well
0: people who are masters at it they're doing it without even putting a name for it mm-hmm. because they are to amplify the problem at hand and make them aware that they have a problem before you can sell a solution to them. right? If you are a master at crafting the problem statement, half your job is done because now you are, there is hunger for that solution for that problem. and then then you comes the positioning exercise where you say, my solution is the best fit for that problem that you are, you are the hunger to solve.
1: I love it. Um, I want to take that angle a little bit more in terms of that sort of the hammer angle and want to talk about self-awareness for a bit. You know, how do I know that I have a hammer? Is there a way I can become more self-aware? Yes. Um, How how do I go about becoming more self-aware?
0: There are many ways and uh, there are seven ways. I'll send the link to a blog post I wrote so that we can put it in the show notes. Absolutely. And I'll tell you the seventh way is the most important way. First of all, why is that there is a self-awareness problem? Let's talk about it first. Why is that I don't know what my hammer is? It's because when you have a strength which is really, really superpower, it becomes invisible to you. Because Hmm. you do it so... So so say that
1: again one more time, Rajesh. When you have a superpower,
0: it it is invisible invisible
1: to you. Why is that?
0: Because it's so easy for you. It's common sense. Mm. Like I said, let's say you're really good at negotiating. Just because you've done it so many times, it comes easy for you. You see things that others don't. Call that phenomenon outsee. It's one of my new books that will come out. (laughs) Like if you want to outperform, you have to outthink. If you want to outthink, you have to outsee. You have to see more things than what other person is doing. In the world of negotiation, let's say that's your superpower. You can see things that the other person don't. But you're not saying, oh my God, I'm so cool. I can see things. You're just seeing it. So you don't think that it's a big thing. In fact, you are surprised that other people don't see it. And then you'll think, well, it's so common sense. It's so plain and simple. So when it becomes invisible to you, you stop growing it because it's you're not nurturing it because you're not aware of it. How will you become aware of it? Like I said, there are seven ways, including having good mentors. Mentors is one of the ways. But the real way is this. You start observing and noticing requests that are coming to you for help mm. when the stakes for those requests are high. It's very important to know that the stakes are high. Why? Because people, are not very thoughtful in making the request. Most of them make requests because they're lazy. They make it be request because they, it's convenient for them. Let's say somebody wants you to drop you at drop drop them at the airport. They'll say, "Ah, oh, visit. You are going there. Are you going towards the airport? Can you drop me?" So when in fact they can take an Uber or some lift or something, right? Of course, if they're your friend, you will drop them. But the stakes are not very high for that because if you don't drop them, it's not like they're in. A, uh, stranded, they'll call for a the right. They have option. an option. They have an option. But let's say they're negotiating a big $2 million deal and they come to you for help, then the stakes are very high because if you give them bad help or not so good help, then they might shave off under $200,000 in the deal because the good help would have given them an edge, bad help would give them a negative edge, if there is word like that. So when the stakes are high and you start noticing those requests, then you know what the world sees you as your strength because you may it may be invisible to you but guess what those superpowers are very visible to your network otherwise they won't come to you asking for that help in fact if you are a bad negotiator think what happens they're negotiating a deal and they know that you are a bad negotiator you will become a competitive disadvantage for them if they take the take you along they won't do it so Noticing requests that are coming your way, where the stakes are high for those requests, that is one way become, to become self-aware of what your true strengths and true superpowers are. In other words, what your hammer is.
1: That is so true. And um, I'm, I really like this idea of, you know, becoming more aware of the requests that are coming in when the stakes are high. And that's how you do go through sort of more self-discovery and start to figure out what is the hammer. Now, speaking of hammers, Rajesh, um, I think you have many hammers. Um, one of the hammers was these sort of these insights that you have, which are for you, it may be simple. Um, and I'm talking about napkin sites and ThinkBook, which is the product that you just recently launched. Um, it may be simple for you but it is super insightful for others. And I really wanna get your get the backstory on this, like sort of the napkin sites, and then you put that together in a book. And um, I'll, I'll send a separate link out for the book because it's not a book, it's not a journal, it's the way to think. And in this new economy, we are rewarded not just based on actions but based on thoughts i mean thoughts innovation concepts those are the things for which we get highly rewarded highly compensated and think book it's it's a tool to basically sharpen that sharpen how you think how you conceptualize etc what was the genesis of this book of this think book because when i say think book maybe First, I think of Lenovo. And then when I actually saw the product, it was like, this is unbelievable. And why didn't someone else come up with this? But then I linked it back to napkin science and it all started to make sense. And I would love to sort of get the get the skinny on this one, Rajesh, because this is, this is special.
0: Yeah, definitely. In fact, there is a lesson here that uh, once I say it, you will say, oh, that makes a lot of sense, which is, many times for something to happen a visit we always think there should be a triggering point in reality there are multiple triggering points with multiple things happening they all have to come together it's like three or four rivers coming together and in a meeting point of those rivers that is what happened in this case so what happened was remember when i was 13 to 17 i was uh, I, I was a journalist and then I started noticing and observing things that others don't. Because for me, there was it was my job's requirement that I find a story angle, isn't it? So that one thing that, that was always there is I can notice things that most people don't because they are so busy with their own Facebook or whatever it is that they are doing. That is item number one. Item number two is years ago I had a medical situation. Which was which uh, almost knocked off my ability to write, and then I used to go to the doctor and said, you know, uh, its writing is a problem. And he said, okay, uh, Raj, I think you can give up on your writing. You can just find a voice recorder or something because there are tools there. But you know, I insist that you next time when you come and see me, I want you to show me a few pages that you are handwritten and then you put the dates on the pages, you know, so that way I know that you're not bringing some old stuff. So, and then it was really difficult for me and then to write a napkin site, which is only a few words to take me 15 to 20 minutes. And then I said, if I'm spending all this time, I, want, I don't want to write Jack and Jill went up the hill because it's a useless thing to do. I said, let me think, what should I do? And you know, I have this meditation and yoga practice that I do every single day. So every day, once I finished my meditation, I would just close my eyes and think what's coming to me. And then I would write for 15, 20 minutes. It would create one napkin site after that. And then I would say, now that I have it, why don't I post it on Facebook? I use a camera on the phone, and posted it on Facebook. And then a friend of mine who is really amazing designer, he said, uh, I only met him three times, his name is Ming. And uh, Ming said, do you want me to visualize this? I won't charge you a lot of money, but I want to help. So now Facebook becomes a transport mechanism, file transport mechanism to Ming. So uh, for now it was all going on because I, I had no business idea on this. It was just going on. And then after about 15, 20 of this, one of my friends called Chris, which I met in a conference, he said, hey, these are uh, these are insights that can fit on a napkin, you know. What are you calling them? I said, I'm not calling them anything because uh, I, had no, I had no thought of making a business out of it. So he said, why don't we call it napkin sites, insights on a napkin. And when uh, the URL is available, you should book it. Oh, that's brilliant. I booked it, I booked it because... Uh, Again, all these things are happening without any goal or destination in mind. And my goal was to reach 100 napkin sites. That's all my goal was, because it, it takes me a lot of time. And then I started getting a, a small following, very tiny following. People would say, if I don't post it for a while, people, some people would email me and say, what happened to those napkin sites? And then when, when I get that kind of positive reinforcement, you say, it's good, I'm reaching my goal. Exactly. And then what happened? Absolutely. <laughs> when it reached 100, something happened. I had two more things to say and it became 102. So now it's an odd number. I said, now I cannot stop. I think I should go to 200, right? Because I can't leave it at 102. It's not even 100 or it's not 150. Something is wrong here. So I reset my goal to, let's make it 200. And uh, it kept going and going, and every time I reach the number 100, 200, 300, I would overstep it a little bit, and then I cannot leave it in an odd number. Finally, now I have 2046 as of today. That's uh, incredible, Rajesh. (laughs) Along the way, uh, I was designing something, a notebook, one of my friends said, "Why don't we put this napkin site interspersed in this notebook?" and then that became a think book and As I was designing it, uh, you know my friend Vishen from mind Valley he said, "This should be a great book to give away in the mind valley conference and uh, While I had no interest in creating one anytime soon, I was just designing it because there was uh, a friend who wanted to give this away at a conference, I fast-tracked it and became the first think book. So the journey is uh, is triggered by many, many uh, things that happened in the past. And the whole napkin site is a play on words. Where did that come from? 2002, I joined a course called Business Professional Course, but it's actually a linguistic philosophy course. I was there in that course for seven and a half years. The whole course was about your words will create your worlds. So I became a really good student of language and play on words. So if you think about it, my journalism days, my medical situation, the inspiration from friends, as well as the love for the language and the words, all of them came together and now it looks like magic, but it was the elements of that magic were happening over, the, over decades, get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, all of those incidents, all of those skills, all of those milestones, all of those things compound over a period of time, and it gives, they give you results that you, know, you may not have expected. And it basically creates a lot more upside over a period of time. And again, going back to persistence, um, if you persist long enough and you once you have 100, you go to 102. If you have 300, you go to 302. And then you get to the next milestone. You keep doing it. It just creates the kind of momentum that um, you may not have um, believed in, in when you just started out. And quite frankly, it sometimes things like these are not just a momentum or a brand, but become a movement. And I think napkin sites is sort of in that category, which is a movement. People can share it, people can talk about it, people can put put up in their offices, and uh, you know now it's in the form of a book. And I'll I'll drop the link in the notes here. And it's a phenomenal book for anyone who is a creator, who's a thinker, who likes to bring in innovation, new concepts into her team or his team. It's it's like a Swiss army knife that you should have. And by the way, you can do anything with it and you can be totally creative and you can build a whole stack of concepts on top of the think book. So I would love to, uh, I'd love to do that um, after, after we publish the show. Rajesh, thanks so much for those insights. I really wanted to get it into a little bit more of you and your personality. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to play, we, we play this game on the show called favorites and we basically ask you a favorite thing and you have to tell us what is that thing and why is that thing your favorite? Are you ready, Rajesh?
0: I am always ready. <laughs> but I'll phrase it with something. Yes. But, uh, suppose, let's say, I ask you, Abhijit, what makes you happy? Don't answer that question. Because the moment you answer that question, it's a trap. Because ah. nothing should make you happy. Because its happiness is a default state. That you don't want something to make you happy. In fact, the answer should be, you know if you ask me the question what makes you unhappy i'll find some things but i am already happy so there is nothing need to make me happy so why i am saying this is when we look for favorites i have so many favorites i'll pick one because it's good for the show but i am i am either i have only two states i'm either excited or very excited like the conversation with you is my favorite thing because that's happening now and we both have a relationship for years. So as much as you are looking forward to the conversation, I was looking forward to the conversation because I don't know what will come out of it, but I know some magic will happen, isn't it? Uh,
1: That is a brilliant way to start (laughs) the favorite conversation. Um, And it's actually deep and insightful as always, Rajesh. Thank you again for sharing that. Happiness is a default state. It's not something that makes you happy. It's not a trigger point. It's a default state. You have to be always happy.
0: And then remember that what is against you, Vijit, is in the world of advertisements, Mm -hmm. what is the standard method to advertise something? They have to show that if you don't have that something, your life is a mess. Let's say it's a vacuum cleaner. How will they show that vacuum cleaner advertisement? They will show that the house is messy, it's dark, dingy, there's uh, stuff everywhere. And then voila, that a vacuum cleaner appears. Suddenly, everything is bright, and then you do the magic wand, and then everything is pick and span clean. So, what are they trying to say? That your life is incomplete without this vac, whatever vacuum cleaner they are selling. Then, if you have it, suddenly you are happy. That is one way. Second way is that the social media. If you don't, uh, if you are not fully. Uh, thoughtful about it, what will, What are people posting on social media, their happy moments. Not their 24 hours a day, they are not live streaming, they are just picking and choosing things that are good and exciting for them. It is an exception, not a rule. It's not like 24 hours in a day, they are meeting some cool people, they are having a party, they are also making their bed, they are also cleaning the vessels, they are also doing the dishes. Everything is happening, but they don't post that on social media. So if you are not very thoughtful, you'll think, oh my God, look at me, this vacuum cleaner is not there, I'm unhappy. But look at everybody in the world. They seem to be always happy. They are vacation, they got a new home, there is a new baby. Something is wrong with me. Oh my God, why are you why are you targeting me? I should also be happy. So you can become it can become a super messy thing. It can mess with your mind. So to take every information that is coming your way with with some thoughtfulness. What is it actually saying?
1: I love it. Maybe Rajesh, next time, I should post a picture of me doing dishes. I think that would be most appropriate. You know, <laughs>
0: it's one of those things that, I read a book, Abhijit, called Click. Have you read it?
1: I've heard about it, I've not read it yet,
0: yes. It's a really small book a visit and you will finish it in one hour it's two brothers ori and ram brahman uh, i believe they are in san francisco if i'm not mistaken i read it a while ago because one of my friends gifted it to me and the book was about why some people instantly connect and why most people don't and there are several characteristics and one of the characteristic bright and bold is vulnerability that somebody who can expose who they really are and be vulnerable, suddenly they get closer to the other person if they also express vulnerability. Because they are now two human beings talking with each other. When you post an image of doing dishes, you are just being vulnerable, you are just showing that you are also a human being. It's not like you are doing something that nobody else in the house does, isn't it? But Nobody else is posting it. So the more, there are two things, You have to be comfortable with who you are and you have to be extremely comfortable when people show who they are. And you have to behave in a way that they know that you are comfortable with them being who they really are. If you do that, you become instantly connected to the person because it's two human beings, two souls talking, not the masks Mm. pretending to talk. Does it make sense?
1: It makes a ton of sense. You know, Career Nation, Rajesh is dropping value bombs after value bombs, and this is happening even before we get into the favorites part. Um, That's part of the reason why I like um, talking to Rajesh and always uh, treasured his mentorship. Um, Let's get into the favorites part. And um, the first question, Rajesh, is your favorite app.
0: My favorite app is a mind mapping tool that I use called MindMeister. And uh, only because it's so simple to use, very easy. And then my mind thinks in uh, like a mind map kind of things. So I always think, where does this go? Their relationships, their interests, and everything is like a mind map, like it branches out things. And I've tried many, many tools like a CRM kind of tool. But the way my mind thinks, It's all very, going all over the place. And mind map captures it brilliantly.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. So Rajesh, just double clicking on that one. How do you use a mind map? Do you use that to, um, let's say, think about a new project, like conceptualize or sort of ideation? Um, Do you use that to plan a project or do you use that for, Um, you know developing something new along like let's say it's a new partnership that you're developing like how do how do you use um, I use it
0: for two things uh, visit one is for projects Mm -hmm. so that I can start thinking in a project let's say a new startup I'm doing or my existing startup then I can say you know what are the partnerships that should be there then I put a branch there then each partnership I can say you know why should they care about So you can keep evolving it. What is the value proposition? So there is so many elements for a project. But the way I use it more frequently and more powerfully is for people. Because people have interests. I want to know what they care about. So when I meet you, for example, I have a mind map for you. I know that career nation is important. So before I meet with you next, if I look at your mind map, I get in one, five, ten seconds, I get a full picture of you so that I know what you care about. And during the conversation, my goal is to bring some value to things that you care about because that is good for both of us. And that is good for me even selfishly because I get to apply what is called as a translation from an abstract to specific. So if I read, I read about one book a week, it's all abstract knowledge but it's useless to you if I say things without contextualizing to your specific needs. The one of the fundamental skills that people should develop is the fast translation from abstract, abstract to specific at a moment's notice. So that is where the value gets created. There is abstract knowledge, there is specific situation. You translate abstract knowledge to specific situation, you create value. When you do that, you become a positive possibility in the future they are creating for themselves. And for me to become a master at it, I have to do it more and more and more. So every meeting, I use my skill to translate abstract to specific and create value. The more I do it, the more I become better at it and it becomes effortless after some time.
1: I love it. So going from like ideating on a project and then going from abstract to specific, I love those use cases because then we can use mind maps to get that context, figure out, and also maybe collaborate with others. And uh, quite frankly, I I think you said it right, which is in some ways it could be better or even sort of complementary to our CRM system. If a sales guy is sitting there and they have a mind map created for a particular customer or customer account, they can figure out that this is the context for the customer. These are the top care abouts. Um, there could be really interesting ways to apply mind maps to sort of a business environment as well. It's
0: pretty cool. 100% Abhijit. In fact, people try to remember somebody's birthdays and anniversaries and all those things. It's it's almost, uh, there is so much of fakeness in it that it's almost like silly uh, when it happens that way. But if you truly care about what they care about, You will do something that will move the needle in a measurable way when that help is given. Something will happen that people will say there is progress made. It is not uh, like, uh, it is not any, nothing fake in it. Plus, it is not something, it's a feel-good thing, but it's a real progress is happening. So for that to happen, you need to know what they care about. And mind map is a great way to capture what people care about.
1: Outstanding. Rajesh, let's move to the next favorites category. Do you have a favorite quote, something you live by, or something that you would like to see on the top of a billboard?
0: Yeah, there are two of them. Uh, so first I'll tell you a uh, 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 so person that I really admire. He's no more, uh, unfortunately, we lost him. His name is Jim Ron. And he, when I met him, in a in a conference, he gave me one quote, and I have lived by it from since the day I heard it. It's called, "Every disciplined effort has multiple rewards." And the what is the the focus immediately becomes, you know, whatever I am doing, I should do it with discipline because there are multiple rewards coming from it,
1: right? Wow, that's uh, deep and super insightful.
0: Yeah, i just- And Jim Rohn is
1: a legend. He is, uh, he's trained so many people and I think you're super fortunate to have actually met him and attended um, some of his teachings.
0: Oh, uh, the meeting was like 15 seconds a visit. <laughs> so but I treasure that meeting, like I was one of the many people who was getting his book signed, but I got my 15 minutes of uh, uh, brilliance with him and the other quote is what I came up with and then it helps me tremendously uh, it's called I am here full stop, where next? question mark and if what is, what is it saying is it's always there with me I carry it I am here puts me in the mood of acceptance whatever happens however I got here, I am here talking to you I have to accept it, not overanalyze anything. First is mood of acceptance. Second question, second part, where next, is a mood of wonder. Because there are multiple possibilities. Now that I'm here, the possibilities are endless. And I have to situate myself in the t- mood of wonder to craft those journeys in the new possibilities. I'm here, mood of acceptance. Where next, mood of wonder. Two modes, extremely powerful in combination.
1: You know, that is such an important and also a useful tool just so that we can center ourselves. I mean, we are always running these back-to-back meetings. We've got devices. We've got so many distractions. By the way, Rajesh, the distractions don't seem to reduce every day. They only seem to go up. And when in that, in that mode that you just mentioned, I'm here and where next, I'm here is a great way to center ourselves, put the focus back, and really make sure that we understand our environment and we accept it and then we know, sort of we are in the know. And then where next is, it just kind of opens up so many possibilities that you can take your relationship to to the next level, your business to the next level, your career to the next level, and so many uh, opportunities and possibilities that you may not have even thought about. And where next, that question mark, that question mark is so powerful because you're really asking yourself that question. You're also asking the environment that question. Where next? Yes. Where do you want to take me? And it kind of combines your personal wonder with the serendipity of, there could be so many opportunities out there that you can take advantage of and be a part of.
0: That is so true, visit it's being present is the hardest thing for many people to do. I have a trick. Oh,
1: including myself, but keep going.
0: (laughs) I have a small hack for that. Shall I share it with you?
1: Please, please. I'm all ears.
0: If you put yourself in a mode where you say, I'm having this meeting. It is my responsibility and my duty to give unlimited access to my limited brain to Abhijit. Then I will be in a mood of, um, Peace, where I know that I'm present. Why? It is my duty and responsibility to give unlimited access to my limited brain now and here. And earlier I wanted to say something like this. I want to give unlimited access to my limited edition brain. But then I thought, I wish I have still a long way to go. Probably <laughs> uh, I will never get there. So for now, it's unlimited access to my limited brain.
1: That's great, and it comes from a place of generosity. And um, you know, generosity, and I wanna touch upon the generosity and we'll get back to the favorites part, but I think you have a, you coined a term, it's called the practical generosity quotient. Yes. Can you, like, what is this? What, what, what do you mean by that? Like, how, how, can, how can I or anybody else use the practical generosity quotient?
0: Uh, I'll give you a little bit of background and I'll tell you what it is.
1: Mm-hmm, so please. suppose
0: uh, I ask, uh, when I teach young people, I always ask them, if there was one skill that you need to develop that will give you an ultimate competitive advantage for the rest of your life, what is it? And people give, it's about leadership, it's taking initiative, getting things done. A lot of good answers. And there are no wrong answers. People are smart. They, They don't give any stupid answers. But in my opinion, the answer is this. Your ability to give meaningful gifts at scale at a very low incremental cost to you. So let me repeat it. Your ability to give meaningful gifts at scale at a very low incremental cost to you. So for that to happen, there are so many good things that have to come around because to give a meaningful gift, you should know what the other person cares about. Otherwise, how will it be meaningful? You should listen to them. Otherwise, how will you know what they care about? So knowing what they care about and listening are already good skills cascades into this. At scale, which means you should be able to do it at will to lots and lots of people. That means you should learn the art of communicating. you learn the art of storytelling. You see how other skills are coming into the picture. And at a very low incremental cost to you, for that to happen, the meaningful gift has to be given in an area which is your superpower. Otherwise, the cost will be very high. For that to happen, you need to know what is your superpower, which means you should know what is your strength. In that one sentence, I pack a lot of things that people have to do, but make it look like you know you just have to do one thing. And there is a, another trap here. You, because people are smart, they can give some gift, some random gift and say, you know, my job is done, I gave a meaningful gift. So I say, not, not yet. If you give a truly meaningful gift, the recipient will miss you in their past, which means, that you know, if I, if I ask you, do you know all your teachers from kindergarten to your master's degree? You'll say no. If I say, do you know some of them? You'll always say yes. In fact, there was a Toastmasters event where one girl stand up and I know every single teacher. Every one of them said names, said I know everything. So there are exceptions. There are people who will remember <laughs> things. But most of them don't, but they remember some of them of the sum of them, they fall into two categories. One, those teachers were very bad, which means they set the standards for the lowest level of teaching. And they were so bad that they became memorable. Or they were so good, in fact, they were so good that you attribute a lot of who you have become to the teachings and experiences they created for you. Those are the people you will miss them in your past. You will say, that teacher made my life. I wish I met the teacher, her, five years before I met her. Isn't it? Like Absolutely. that, you extend it to, when you give a meaningful gift, if it is so profound, that you will say, oh, what a gift. I wish I met this person a few years ago. So how do we do it practically? That's where the practical generosity quotient comes in. Uh, the PGQ is a ratio of the capacity you added to the capacity it was needed by the person who is pursuing something meaningful and impactful in in their world. Like uh, if somebody was wanting to start a company, there is a bunch of capacity that they need. How much of what they need did you add? That is your ratio. If you just said, oh, you are starting a company, you should read this book. It's called the startup, blah, blah, blah. And then you can find it on Amazon. Then uh, that is a, almost a meaningless thing. The PGQ will be 0.1. Mm. <laughs> One because you just had to put some number there. Otherwise, it's really zero. But if you say something like, you know, let me help you think through the business models, the pricing, the business plan, and a bunch of things that they don't know, I'll make some connections to some investors or co founders or something, then the PGQ gets to 60, 70. I have found that when the PGQ crosses 60 or 70, the power of reciprocation kicks in. Mm. Because people will say, is there anything I can do for you because you have been so helpful. And if you you do this on and on and on and on, you have what I call a reservoir of reciprocation. You have an oversupply of good help waiting to be tapped into at a moment's notice whenever you push a button. And that is real competitive advantage.
1: I love it. And that basically becomes the key to unlock so many opportunities going forward. Exactly. Um, that's brilliant, Rajesh, again. How about we talk about another favorite topic? This time, it's your favorite book. Now, this is going to be difficult for you, partly because you've authored some really Really great books, and not only great but useful books. And I've read so many over the years, upbeat, and, and so many others over the years. So, what is your favorite book?
0: You know, earlier I used to uh, answer uh, saying that hey, all books are like my children, everything is a favorite book, and it's like a traditional way anybody else will answer. But then I said, you know, if I have to rank order some things. Mm then I should be able to do it because it cannot be all equal, right? So my upcoming book called Smart But Stuck is my favorite book because first of all, I got royally stuck writing that book, right? So, <laughs> uh, and then That's uh, ironical. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and I, because of that book, I studied a lot of things, I became self-aware, And then there are about 15, 20 ways people get stuck. And if somebody reads the book and they either will find something that they're getting stuck, or they'll find something that somebody that they love is getting stuck. And then there is always something that they can take away from that book. Because I'm always big on return on investment for an interaction. That is why I'm very big on it. Mm. Which means people are talking about return on investment for money. I talk about R-O-I-I, which is Return on Investment for an Interaction. When somebody buys this book, 25, 30 bucks, they are giving me the most precious asset, which is their attention. They could have been reading another book. They could have been watching a movie. They could have been Disneyland. Uh, They are giving attention that is so precious to them that I have to take care of it. And for that attention, I have to give that return. It is really, really big. And I have a feeling that I have captured that in this book and i also feel good about it because a lot of really amazing people came in and helped me with the book so while i am the main actor in the book there are a lot of is an ensemble that came in and said let me help you take it to the next level so that's my answer smart but stuck
1: i love it i can't wait um let me know when it comes out and um Last but not the least, what's your favorite restaurant, Rajesh?
0: You know, uh, in, when it comes to restaurants or any eating places, I'm very interested in places where people are happy. And when they're serving, they, have, they, they see happiness. So, And then that is very important for me. So close to my home, there is a restaurant called Sangeeta. You might have seen it. And there I go there every time the people are happy. So that's more important for me than the quality of food. Believe it or not, if you go to a happy place, the food will always be good. Because they bring their heart into it.
1: That's great. I can't wait to go to Sangeeta next.
0: (laughs) So shall I share one insight that people can put it to use immediately? Yeah, please. So I have a rule called, uh, just like no child left behind, there is a no insight left behind. (laughs) So let's say there are audience people who are listening to this show. Let's assume that they get one insight from it, just one. The goal has to be to apply it immediately, wherever possible. And there is a lot of good things will happen because they may not be in a project where they can apply it immediately. What will they do? They will look at their friends' projects, projects Mm -hmm. that their people care about. And just because there is a no insight left behind rule that they agree to, they suddenly become like Santa Claus in the real world. Because they are less they have an insight and they have to apply it, they have to create value, and they become masters of this translation from abstract to specific. Because we never took a business when we are talking, it's so we're still talking abstract things. But the value never gets created in the abstract. Value gets created in the specific. So you just keep that, I want to practice the no insight left behind rule. Immediately you become a Santa Claus of value creation.
1: No insight left behind. That's fantastic, Rajesh. I don't know how you come up with these really useful um, sort of concepts and well, that's kind of part of your brand as well because whether it's napkin sites, or these insights or concepts you're sharing, it's, it creates value and it's so useful. And I really want to get into, you know, you know, you come up with these concepts, but I want to get into sort of a little bit deeper in terms of how do you come up with those? Like, what are some of the techniques? What are some of the habits that you've applied to your career over the years? Um, for example, do you have a morning routine? Um, do you like, is there a place you sit and you come up with ideas? Um, once you have an idea for a new project, a new startup, how do you validate that idea? Like, are there certain techniques and things you've honed over the, over so many years that you, you'd like to share?
0: Very good. You had so many questions that we'll answer <laughs> one by one. Let's talk about the morning ritual. So for a long time, uh, since 2007, when uh, uh, I met Sadhguru, uh, from uh, he's a big teacher in India, and of course, Balu yeah, Wai
1: the now. Isha Isha Foundation,
0: yeah, yeah, and I uh, I attended a program um, Isha Yoga program, and then my teacher she's in Canada now. Her name is Namath, and then I asked her a question at the end of this thing, you know, Namath, if I want to incorporate this uh, ritual in my life how many days should I do it and then uh, the moment I asked it I know that it was a really idiotic question and she looked at me like as if I was one because I said (laughs) if you want to do it throughout your life what a silly question it is to ask how many days should I do it then I said no no, but I really wanted to say if it has to become my habit how many days does it take And she gave me, there are so many ways people have said it, 40 days, 21 days, depending on the research, right? There is enough answers for it. But Namath told Mm -hmm. me something. It's a gift that I'll never forget. She said, if you are really serious about it, I have a technique for you. It's a hack. I said, yeah, I'm really serious about it. And she probably wanted to taunt me or something. She said, I don't think you will do it, but let me try it. I said, you know, bring it on. I will do it. And she said... You practice this ritual twice a day, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. And you cannot skip for the next six months. You cannot give an excuse. And you cannot say, but I was traveling, no, you cannot. And I took up the challenge. And then I, I did that, whether I was traveling, I would have a mat in the airport or a towel. And I would just do my yoga and meditation right there. And in 2007, as you know, it was not that hot, yoga, meditation and all of them. People mm. would look at me as if I'm like, oh, what is this guy doing? Now, if you do it, people are very curious. They want to know what kind of thing is that and everything. Long story short, that has become my internal uh, internal way, how I, how I do things. I meditate and do yoga every single day. Uh, since 2007, I skipped only two days, so I always practiced it. That's, I don't want, want to call it ritual because it has now become so much part of me. I don't know me without it. So that is what uh, I call it, re-engineering your being. So rather than saying you have to incorporate a new habit, I say, can you re-engineer your being? so that the habit is part of your being. So there is no habit because it's you in a new way, isn't it?
1: I love and it, version 2.0 contains yeah. these new features.
0: Exactly, you, you upgrade your software so that it's now, there is no previous, it's not an add-on, it is operating system level upgrade, <laughs> but it, it's there permanently and you cannot say, Oh, um, previous version operating system with this add ons. No, no, it's already new, previous version is gone. Right? So that's why if you want to do something good, then you re engineer your being so that that something good is baked into the soul of you. Then there is no question of because if you say habit, ritual, it seems like work that you mm. have to do it. But if it is a part of your being, it's not work. I mean, there's no work to be you.
1: Great. There is no work to be you if you're, if it's already a part of you. Yes. Um, Rajesh, you know, one thing on career nation we're always interested in is as people think about their careers and the possibility of their careers and their trajectory. One question that comes up often, especially in my conversations is side hustle, which is, you know, people have their day jobs they're working in corporate America, they're working in a large company, medium-sized company, small company, startup, what have you. But at the same time, they wanna have this side hustle, which is their sort of passion project. They might be into photography, they might be a swimming instructor, they might be whatever, right? And it's a way for them to express themselves but also, it could be their future. It could be a future career direction. It could be their future business, even. What, what, what are your thoughts on side hustle? Should everybody have a side hustle? And what, what, how can people go about having a side hustle and at the same time sort of capitalizing on, on it over a period of
0: time? The, uh, it's a good question. About should we have a side hustle or should people not have a side hustle? So my answer to that is only if it makes sense, right? So for example, you're already in a job where you are having a dream life and then every single moment you want to bring value to it. And what you are passionate about is what you're doing in the corporate world. Let's say somebody is really amazing in sales. He thrives on building killer sales teams. Mm. And that is what he wants to do. And there is no need for side hustle, right? You could use that time. Suppose they say, I have some free time, they could use it to volunteer for something that they care about, isn't it? Because good NGOs need amazing people. But let's say they, there is a family situation or a personal situation where they cannot do exactly what they are passionate about, but they have to pay the bills. They're doing something as a cap arrangement, they're doing their good job. But they know that in the end, that is not their calling. And that is when they say, you know, what can the side hustle be without breaking the promises I am making to my employer? Right? It should, side hustle should not affect the real work because that's a promise you made, you're getting paid for it. But you know that that's not the calling. And that's when you start looking at a side hustle as a means to an end to the transition, uh, during the transition to go there. Does it make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and, And speaking of side hustles and speaking of hustles in general, that could be a project, right? And there could be a single project or multiple projects. And Rajesh, at any given point in time, you have so many projects that you have running at the same time in parallel. There are many trains that have to leave the station on time and come to the station on time. How do you make time for your projects? I mean, I, mean if I, I, I think of you as like you're writing books, you're doing shows, you're speaking, and like you're coming up with concepts and at the same time you're running multiple startups. And so how do you prioritize your time? How do you prioritize your projects? And how do you, how do you think about that? from a sort of concept and execution standpoint?
0: First of all, uh, there is a lot of moving parts, I agree. And then the design of these projects where I'm getting involved in some way has to blend itself into creating multiple rewards at the same time. Remember my favorite quote is, every disciplined effort has multiple rewards. Like for example, I'm writing this book, Smart But Stuck. What will happen? i like to meet other authors i like to interview them or remember interview cool people and all those things you know my latest project uh, startup is called advisor which is like spotify for micro podcasts from really smart people along the way i am writing this book i am meeting a bunch of smart people what will happen they all become experts on advisor now did it Take double the work to get them as advisor experts and interview them for, no. It's designed to be in such a way that it creates multiple rewards that will benefit multiple people. So I look at myself as a joker card. In a pack of cards, I can become a set or I can become a sequence. But on my own, I'm not that powerful. But as a set or a sequence, I'm really powerful. So I'm always thinking about smart partnering. How do we get, when I hire people, I look for three things. I call it ACE, which is autonomous, which is they don't ask me a lot of questions. They get their job done. Competent, they not only get their job done, they do it very well. And E for empathetic. That means they know what the end customer of this project is. They have some empathy for that end customer. So if they are, have the characteristics of ACE, ACE characteristics, then I hire them. Have I made mistakes? Yeah, many times. But they will get not get the next project with me because it costs me. So imagine if I have a set of people with ACE characteristics, how easy it is to get things done.
1: I love it. Autonomous, competent, empathetic. And empathetic. It's a it's a great set of qualities to have Um, and be successful with those qualities and be make basically not only be autonomous and competent and empathetic that helps you with the job but it also helps you because now you can scale up and have more leverage and other things Rajesh as we wrap up here We would love to know as career nation, what are your, what is your advice to us? All of us people working in corporate America, working on at jobs, we want to excel. We want to get promoted. We want to have better jobs. We want to learn new skills. There's so many things to do as we, as we wrap up, what are your thoughts on sort of our careers? How, how do you think we should approach it? What are the things we should be thinking about? Um, your thoughts, please.
0: One of the things that I always think about, Abhijit, is how much does it take off you to create significant value to others? So if you think about how much of you has to come to create a lot of value, if you can design your career so that the less of you is required to create enormous value, then what does happen? then you unlocked a powerful force of leverage, isn't it? So the higher the leverage, higher the outcome and output and higher the premium that people will pay you in your job. For that to happen, if only a little of you to come to create a lot of value, that little of you be extremely powerful, isn't it? Mm. And that whatever is your superpower, It cannot stay a superpower unless you nurture it. So first is to identify your superpower. Second is to nurture it like nobody's business. There's no tomorrow. If a superpower is storytelling, then take the next course on storytelling. Go to a workshop, do whatever it takes because that is your superpower. You have to double down on it rather than saying, I'm not good at accounting, let me learn accounting. No, there is find a person who is good at accounting and partner with him. Your superpower is storytelling, double down, triple down on it. That's my two cents.
1: Awesome. And I would love to link that back to the self-awareness topic that we discussed earlier in the show. And then knowing more about yourself, what's your hammer, what's your strength. And then now figuring it out, double down, triple down on it, um, gives, maximum results not only to yourself but to the community that you serve to the organizations that you serve to the companies where you create value and to your customers okay. fantastic rajesh it's been a absolute pleasure thank you so much for taking the time you are a super busy person um, but you chose to spend time here with the audience and share your fantastic insights would love to do a follow-up at some point. I'm just, I didn't ask you this, but I'm just making a statement that I would love to do a follow-up. Hopefully you'll honor it. And with, with much love and respect, Rajesh, thank you again for being on the show.
0: You're most welcome. I totally enjoyed it. It was a pleasure talking to you. And anytime we can do a follow-up.
1: Awesome. Great. Thank you, Rajesh. Have a great day.